Father, I'm excited about this morning. I'm excited about the message. I'm excited about the things that you're doing here. Lord, this is one of these topics that has the ability to transform our lives. So as I often pray, I pray that it would be what is led by your spirit and your word alone that is received and that changes lives and that any other word that is spoken would just fall to the ground. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Okay, quick recap. We're talking about Gospel 101. Gospel 101, each letter is significant because it signifies something important. So we looked at G as being God who is holy and righteous and perfect. And then we looked at O and we looked at the obstacle of sin and the fact that we are all guilty before him and there's none of us that are righteous. No, not even one. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And then we looked at S. Okay, and S, Sam brought us last week, stood for our Savior, and we learned that he is God and creator, he is the light that pierces through the darkness, and he has indeed come. So there's where we're at. And as I was reading through uh, our CBR app, our community Bible reading app, which I encourage you to be a part of, I saw in Acts chapter 7 this week a good example of individuals who went through the G and the O and the S, and then they stopped there. So if you read the story of Stephen in Acts chapter 8, Stephen looks at the people and he he lifts God up as righteous and holy. And then he says, you're sinners and so were your forefathers. And we've sinned against this holy God. And then he said, but Jesus has come and he was the Messiah. He was the Christ and you've killed him. And they said, that's enough. You've said enough. And they stoned him and they killed him. And that's so sad. Earlier, Peter had done the same thing, and people were, in their hearts, they were just convicted, and they said, but what shall we do to be saved? And he was able to give them the rest of the story and tell them that they needed to repent and to be baptized for the forgiveness of sins, and God added to the church. We can't stop at S. We can't stop at the fact that there is a perfect and holy God, we're all guilty before him, and there is a Savior that has come, unless we understand what that Savior was about and what he came to accomplish. So at this point in time, I'm going to ask Miss Nicole. Where's Nicole? She's here somewhere. Okay, this is Nicole Young, everybody. So wave Nicole. Nicole's nervous right now, and I get it. So Nicole, you've got a sister here somewhere? Okay, so Nicole is Nanette's sister, and then she's married to our bassist, right? So this is Andrew. Okay, so Nicole is going to read a couple of passages for us. You have them in the worship guide. Um, But before we do so, Nicole, how are you? All right, very good. Thank you, Nicole. So as I was looking at the P that we were going to use in our Gospel 101 series, I thought about the word placement, like the Lord had taken our place. I thought about just praises because of what he had done. But they weren't good enough, to be honest with you. So the one word, and it's the theological word, it's a hard word to even say, but it's the word that we need to use is what we're going to use. But as I was thinking about this, if I can get my, my clicker to work, you're thinking, where in the world is he going? So there's a passage in Isaiah that says that even though our sins are crimson, they're like scarlet, it says that he will wash them as white as snow. Well, that makes perfect sense to us, or it 
should make sense to us, even though we never see snow anymore in the Tri-Cities. But we know what snow looks like. But how about if you live in the desert regions of Africa? When you read a passage like that, it makes no sense to you. So as believers, we'll take a, a, a word and we'll translate it or we'll turn it around into something that people can understand. So we would say it's like the white on a zebra or a gazelle, the white tail on a gazelle. The Lord takes the dirt and he turns it into that. And we're like, oh, okay, I get it, I understand. But there's other words that you just can't do that with. The word that we're using today, you can't like dumb it down and turn it into something else. So we just need to stick with it. So as we're looking at Gospel 101, we're going to look at the word propitiation. Propitiation. I invite you to say it with me. Propitiation. How many of you all used that in a sentence any time this past week? <laughs> yeah, right. Well, you may have. Yeah, you saw me at the coffee company. That's the only reason that you did. Propitiation. Let's return to the passages again. Let's walk through them and look at them. I'm going to skip down to verse number 23. If you'll go back to verse number 20, I don't have it in front of me right now, but I think it reminds us that through the law, no one will be saved. Okay, remember in, um, in O, we said that the law was put into place to lead us to the point that we need Christ. I did not know what coveting was until the law said, thou shalt not covet. And now I find my heart is coveting all of the time. That's the point of the law. It's to point us to the place where we realize we are sinners and we are in need of a Savior. But starting in 23 and following, let's just kind of go through it together. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the majesty, the glory, the perfection, the righteousness of Almighty God. But it doesn't stop there. And this is where we start jumping into the peak, and it's glorious, and it's amazing. We have four truths that we're going to look at today. Okay, four points, four truths. Okay, we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward. So here's God putting forward. He's giving up his son. This is exactly what Sam talked about last week. He's putting him forward as a propitiation. That's a crazy word. What does that mean? By his blood to be received by faith, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, which we'll look at later, he had passed over the former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And then in 1 John 2, 1 and 2, but if anyone does sin, skipping down, we have an advocate He's our advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, and he is the propitiation. There's another passage in 1 John 4 that says the same thing, that he is the propitiation for our sins. I'm not a Greek scholar, but here it is. You, you pronounce it, helostelion, helostelion. That's the Greek translation from the Hebrew word that was used in the Old Testament that actually means mercy seat. Okay, now we're going somewhere. So he is the propitiation, or he is the mercy seat. What does this even mean, and why is it so significant? That's my job this morning, to help you to see it. And when you see it, 
I pray that you will embrace it with both of your hands and with all of your heart because it will transform our lives when we understand that Jesus is our mercy seat. To understand mercy seat, I have to give you some basic information. If you look back in, and you don't need to now, I'm going to read it, but you make a note of it. Look back in Exodus 25. Okay, in Exodus 25, there is going to be a description of the mercy seat. Let me read this, verse 17 and following, talking about the Ark of the Covenant. God says, You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be its length, and a cubit and a half its breadth. And you shall make two cherubim. Remember we talked about in Isaiah 6, there were the two seraphim, the, the, the fiery angels that covered their face, and they covered their feet, and they cried out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Well, these are also angels. There's the two cherubim, but they're not fiery angels, but they sit on the Ark of the Covenant. Okay, so there's these two cherubim of gold, of hammered work shall you make them on the ends of the mercy seat. The propitiation, the mercy seat. Make one cherub on one end and one cherub on the other end. Of one piece with the mercy seat shall you make the cherubim on its two ends. The cherubim shall spread out their wings above, overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings. Their faces one to another toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubim be. I'll show you a picture in a moment. And you shall put the mercy seat on the top of the ark and in the ark you shall put the testimony that I shall give you. And then he says this. I'm, I'm, I'm using a lot of words right now, but you need to hear this. So there's the Ark of the Covenant, there's the two cherubim, and then there's the mercy seat, which is the lid, it's the covering. And he says, there I will meet with you from the mercy seat and between the two cherubim that are on the Ark of the Testimony. God says, create this thing in gold. There's an angel, and there's an angel, and there's a covering. And inside of the Ark of the Covenant consisted of three different things. One was Aaron's bud. Remember Aaron who went with Moses, and his rod was used over and over and over to show the power of God. And then after the, the children of Israel had come out of Egypt, Aaron was set aside um, to be the priest of the people. Okay, so when you think of Aaron's bud, think of the high priest. So we see Jesus as our high priest. There was also the manna that was in the Ark of the Covenant. And remember how he provided manna for them on a daily basis? And it was one day at a time. It wasn't two days at a time. It was one day at a time. So Jesus is our provider. He provides everything that we need. And then the last part that was in the Ark of the Covenant were the Ten Commandments. Remember? The law. So we talked about a few weeks ago how everything that happened in the Old Testament, every stream is leading to Jesus. Every road is leading to Jesus. It wasn't these sacrificial systems in the Old Testament and the Passover and these festivals and the Ark of the Covenant. And then he says, oh, or you know what I could do? I've got another idea. I'll just send my son. No. From the very beginning, everything that we see and everything that we read in the Old Testament is pointing us to the time that the Messiah, the Christ, is going to come. And that's what he's doing here as well. So he's showing us this picture in the Ark of the Covenant, and he's telling us that the top, in the middle, between the cherubim, is Christ himself. He says, I will meet you there.
This is a picture of what it looked like. So here's the Ark of the Covenant. The items that I mentioned were inside of it. It's a little fuzzy. The mercy seat is the covering. It's the lid. It encloses everything. And then you've got the two cherubim, and then it's the mercy seat. The whole thing is the mercy seat. Okay. Truth number one. I'll try to go slow with these. Propitiation. It's where righteous God himself, through Jesus Christ, meets sinful man. That's truth number one. This is the place where God himself, Emmanuel, God is with us. This is where he comes to meet with sinful man. Going back to our Romans 3 passage, it says, Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, it's a combination of the person of Jesus along with what he did when he met us there. Let me read 1 John 4, 9 and 10 to you. In this, the love of God was made manifest. So there's, he's manifested. He's made visible. We see him. He's made manifest amongst us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So propitiation begins with Jesus himself coming for the sole purpose of giving himself as a sacrifice. He's the perfect high priest. He's the one that provides for us. The, the, the one thing that he provides that no one else can provide is forgiveness for all of our sins. And he is the fulfillment of the law. Everything is pointing to him. He is our savior. He is the propitiation. He alone is the lid. He is the mercy seat. Truth number two, the propitiation is where God covers all of our sins. If you say that too fast, we don't feel the weight of that statement where God covers all of our sins. I was at the coffee company a couple weeks ago and I was having a conversation with a young lady and she was struggling with some things about God. And they were tough questions that she was asking. And I just remember saying, those are hard questions. But the greater question is, why would God choose to love any of us? If I had a cord and I could just plug it into my side and up on the wall were, were all of my thoughts all of the stuff that's been in my head and in my heart and the actions that I've committed, the things that I've done all of my life, it's really, really, really bad that God would choose to love me and that he would cover all of my sins. That's the miracle. He would cover all of our sins. Let's go back to the Romans 3 passage. First, that we need to remember the propitiation is only if we believe. It's not given to us 
automatically. We have to believe. It's in faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ for all who believe. But if we do repent, and if we do believe the gospel message, it says in verse number 24 that we are justified. And it also says in verse number 24 that we have redemption. We are justified. We have redemption. Justified. We are declared not guilty. We're a guilty people. We talked about that under the O. We're all guilty. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And because of propitiation, because of the mercy seat, God can look upon us because of our faith in what Jesus has done. And he says, you're not guilty anymore. We receive redemption. He's purchased us back. We were sold into the slavery of sin. He purchased us back through Jesus Christ. A couple of passages that I started thinking about this week, Romans 5.1, where it says, having been justified, that's past tense, we have, present tense, peace with God. Because of propitiation, we have been justified, and now we currently have peace with God. God. Galatians 5.1 says that it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. These are all ones. Romans 8.1. There's therefore no condemnation, none, for those that are in Christ Jesus. This is why we preach and we teach gospel over and over and over. It is not morality and it is not religion, it is not keeping up with the rules that is going to save us before a holy and righteous God. We cannot be good enough, but we can acknowledge our guilt before him and we can receive by faith this gift that he has given to us in the propitiation of Jesus Christ. This one's a little longer and smaller, so I'll read it to you. Truth number three. I'm not sure why we got this one so small. Truth number three, propitiation. Where the once and for all sacrifice takes place where the once and for all sacrifice takes place that completely appeases the wrath of God and shows his divine justice to punish sins. I'll read that one more time. I'll leave it up there for a moment. Propitiation, truth number three, where the once and for all sacrifice take, pl takes place that completely appeases the wrath of God and shows his divine justice to punish sins sins. 1 John 1.9, you know this passage. If we sin, he is what? He's faithful. He's faithful. He'll do it every single time. He's faithful to forgive us of our sins and he's just to forgive us of our sins. He's faithful. Why? He can forgive our sins over and over. Why? Because of propitiation. 
those sins have already been paid for. They can't be paid for again. We can confess them and we can believe the gospel. God, I did it again. I messed up again. The same thing again, over and over and over. But I believe the gospel and he says, they're gone. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. It doesn't sound fair, but it's true. He took the penalty for our sins, which leads us to the justice of God. He's faithful and he's just. God cannot, as a holy and perfect and righteous God, sinless God, and just God, he cannot let sins go unpunished. He can't, and he won't. If we think that he will, then we don't understand who God is. We may not like that, and we may think it's unfair that God would punish sins, but God is perfectly just. We are his creation. We don't know what we're talking about. We must submit to his rule and his order as we see in the word of God. And he says, in my forbearance, I let these sins go because I knew that Christ was coming. But now that he has come, I have taken all of them upon my son, Jesus Christ. And because of that, because he met us there at the mercy seat with propitiation, because of that moment, I'm faithful to forgive you over and over and over And I'm just in doing so because I took the punishment for your sins. Propitiation. If we get just a glimpse of the glory of this word, it'll change our lives. We will quit trying to perform and make God and everyone around us think that we've got our stuff together. We won't jump into it today, but it is a good thing that Jesus says, I'm not leaving you as orphans. I'm going away, but I'm going to come back to you. He gives us the power of the Holy Spirit that enables us to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. So it's not like we're hopeless and helpless, and once we receive Christ, we're going to continue to sin over and over and over and over. It's not that way. But if we do sin over and over and over and over, and if we really do believe the gospel, the truth of the matter is he's still faithful and just and will forgive us over and over and over. It's true, people. That's why it's called gospel. It's really, really good news. Where the once and for all sacrifice, listen to Hebrews 10, 14. And if you want to kind of jump on this once and for all bandwagon and see what the word of God says, go read Hebrews 9 and read Hebrews 10. Because it says the same thing over and over and over. I'm going to give you just a, a taste of it. 1014, for by a single offering he has, past tense, perfected, perfected, perfected for all time those, that's you and me, who are being sanctified. Perfected because we've been clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He is our propitiation. Truth number four. Propitiation where mercy and grace come together. 
forgiven and clothed with the righteousness of God. So this term that's translated propitiation from the Greek, from the Hebrew to the Greek, it's, it's got a couple of tenses with it. And sometimes it's translated as expiation, which is a hard word to say, which mean, means to make amends for, to make reparations. And in 1 John 2, 2, like if you read the NIV, it says the, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. It says atonement and atoning sacrifice instead of propitiation. They're so similar but there's a slight difference between them. And propitiation in the original language, it encompasses both. Let me explain. It's a wonderful, intricate word that speaks of appeasement and repair and of mercy and grace. Okay? So in Romans 3, we see mercy in this divine forbearance, this holding back, this stopping with patience, this delaying, there's mercy that's there. So there's mercy that we received, but then there's grace. In verse 24, we are justified by his grace as a gift. I found a passage in Ephesians that I think encompasses both of these. It's Ephesians 2, 4 through 8. It says, but God, rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he has loved us, when even when we were dead in our trespasses, there's mercy there. Even though we're sinners, even though we're guilty, even though we are just fighting against him, he still has forbearance and he has mercy. Even when we are sinning against him. But then in the middle of that, he made us alive together with Christ. That's grace. For by grace you have been saved and raised us up and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So you've gone from mercy to grace. Not only has he not punished us as our sins deserve to be punished, he's made us kings. He's, he's adopted us as his sons. He's brought us into his kingdom. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not on your own it is a gift of God. That's why there's no other word that we can use. It's the mercy of God and the grace of God coming together in a way that we understand that the lid is shut. It's done. There's no more sacrifice for sins that is left. Make a note of this passage. I read it last week but I didn't emphasize it. This is 2 Corinthians 5.21. We need to pray for Nicole and the Youngs this week, and we need to memorize 2 Corinthians 5.21 this week. How's that? Because in this one passage, you really see the glory of propitiation. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that's Jesus, that in him, Jesus, we might become, we might become us, the righteousness of God. We might become the righteousness of God. Mercy and grace mingled together. It's astounding, people. It is gospel. 
it is really, really good news. Propitiation. If we repent and believe, not only are we not held accountable for our former, current, and future sins, but we're also clothed with the righteousness of Almighty God. And we know that when Jesus died, there was the curtain, remember, that led into the Holy of Holies. Once and for all, that curtain was torn. And now we actually have access to the Father. Direct access. In fact, Hebrews tells us that we can come before his presence with confidence because of what Jesus has done. He has adopted us as his children. Propitiation. It's crazy. And it's crazy good. It's crazy good news. It's our only hope. And it's the only hope for Appalachia, East Tennessee, Elizabethan, Johnson City. It's our only hope. Religion will never save us. Our morality will never save us. But the mercy seat and where Christ met us there will definitely save us. So when I look up on that screen and I see all of the stuff that I've done, that the Lord would say, it's gone. It's white as snow. You are now clothed with the righteousness of me. And you're my child. That's too much, people. But it's true. I'll hit pause before I finish. Let it marinate a little. What are your thoughts, responses, comments, questions? Go directly to Sam, but you can ask those too. Yeah, Scripture says it this way. It says the, the God, and it's a little g. It says the God of this age, which is the enemy, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they can't see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. They just can't see it. And we need to pray that the scales would just completely fall off of their eyes. Now, having said this, um, I, would, I, would, I, I can't go forward without making one more statement. In a, a room this large, with this many people in it, and having been a very religious, moral person many, many years of my life, there's a good chance that there are people that are sitting here right now that do not understand the gospel and have not appropriated it in their heart, in their life. Don't leave here without understanding the goodness of God and the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ. He's done everything. You can't do it. Even on your best day, you can't do it. It's all up on him. It's what he has done. Religion and morality will not save us. We will preach it over and over and over. It is the gospel and the gospel alone. In summary, this is a Jerry definition. I don't know that you'll be able to write down all these words, but let's listen to them. Propitiation. The mercy seat where God comes to us and provides the one and only acceptable, wrath-satisfying sacrifice on our behalf, sufficient to forever pay for our sins and enable us eternal access to our holy God.
propitiation. Say it again, but not just to hear us say it, but to understand the meaning behind it that would, it would sink into our hearts. Propitiation. Propitiation. Propitiation as a praise unto him. Between the cherubim, he meets us. He closes the lid. It's once and for all. He is our high priest. He is our provider. And he is the one that fulfills the law. He's all of those things and more.